San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for uh, 760 KFMB, you can hear us on any device. All these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com, and we're free on iTunes if you search the title of the show. Now time to introduce, introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinary. He's a, a competitive marathon runner. He's a best-selling author, a philanthropist, and a family office expert advising several high net worth families. His name is Richard Musio. Richard, good evening. How are you? Uh, marvelous, Joe. Only 13 <laughs> shopping days left until <laughs> December 25th. But who's counting? <laughs> I did, hey, there's a cool book out. This guy, David Pogue, I just saw, uh, heard him on the radio today. But the Essential Tips, uh, uh, just Household Tips, is a really great book. I ordered two of them. So if anyone, that's a, I think H- Household good. Tips? Well, it's, it's any, it's Essential Tips. It's, you you it's, mean like don't put your cereal in it, the toaster? It's or? like how to get, uh, you know, if you put a magic marker on a whiteboard, it's how to get the uh, that off of there. And uh, all kinds of interesting, uh, just uh, interesting tips. Uh, you know, it's, it's I guess it's an updated hints for... Eloise, oh, yeah. or okay. Eloise, or Eloise, I forget. But anyway, what a great, I don't want to waste too much time today because we've got probably one of the best guests we'll ever have. And I've heard her speak at the Museum of Natural History and at the Sanford Burnham and now Prebis Medical Discovery Institute at the Group of 12. Uh, she has, you've seen her on the Tonight Show. She's been on a thousand shows. She's a goodwill ambassador to the San Diego Zoo Zoological Society for 32 years. She's had her own TV series, Animal Express, Animals of Africa, Baby Panda, Challenge of Wildlife. She's been on every TV show imaginable. And uh, we are proud to call her a, a resident and I think native of San Diego and yeah. Lakeside. And you all know by now who it is. It's Joan Embry. Joan, welcome to our show. Thank you. <laughs> we, I am a rare native. Really? That is great. We haven't had many on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, attended San Diego State University. And let's. where did you get your passion for animals? Did it start as a young child? It did. Now, I always remember it being, you know, I was drawn to wildlife. My mother worked for a veterinarian, so, you know, at dinner every night we'd talk about the daily surgeries and mm-hmm. animal procedures my uncle was a vet so i spent mm-hmm. summers riding on the truck with him going out to ranches doing large animal work this is all in san diego no that was in santa cruz santa on the Cru- summer so mm-hmm. so th- you know that developed an early on interest i really thought i wanted to be a veterinarian hmm. until i went to the vet school at uc davis and found out that it's the only a- woman in the class was valedictorian of her class and that it really wasn't a field open to women at the time. So huh. that's how I ended up at the zoo. Which is true for many professions back in the day. You know, yes. San- Sandra Day O'Connor graduated number one in her class at Stanford Law School and uh, she went to apply and they said, you can be a secretary for us. So how do you, <laughs> or paralegal? You know, back in the day, that were the options at the zoo. You could either be a secretary or work in the children's zoo. Oh my gosh. So, you know, it's all changed now. Well, you come a long way, baby. <laughs> 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 Joe, that was Virginia Slims. That's right, <laughs> Billy Jean King. Um, anyway, let's see. So, um, born and raised in San Diego, right? Yes. And San Diego State, and then off that you got a degree in telecommunications or communications. And um, how, what happened after that, after your college years? What well, did, actually, did you-, you know, I started working at the zoo in 
1968 when I graduated from high school, my first year of college. What did you do there? And I worked in the children's zoo. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they, they raised a wildlife that was born at the zoo there of all types. And they also, at that time, imported baby elephants. Well, for most of the young women working there, the elephants were a bit overwhelming and rambunctious. But I was, you know, a horse person through and through. I'd ridden and shown and was very involved with horses. So I felt comfortable with the elephants, even though they did like to push you around and play rough sometimes, because I, I had that experience. So I traded all my time to sit with the, the primates and the apes and the monkeys and the lions and tigers and all the other animals because I was fascinated with the elephants from day one. Hmm. And, and actually, it was an elephant that led me into my television career which started with an appearance on The Tonight was Show. Was that Carol, by the way? That was Carol. I remember that show. I, I fell in love Carol. with that elephant, what, and we were, you know, what, we were what, buddies. What year was it? It had to be early 1970. Because you moved The Tonight Show out to uh, Burbank in 72, but... Um, they were still in New York, yeah. and they had called and said, we're making our first trip to Burbank. Wow. To the West Coast. How and, about uh, that? They, they made two trips, I think, before they actually moved the show. And uh, so that's when I got the call. Could you bring your elephant? <laughs> Which I don't know if you recall Jack White when he was Channel Ten and yes, done a story. Of course, of course. Because somebody, you know, on a whim, on a dare, said, "Oh, I bet you couldn't train that elephant. You trained her to do all kinds of things. I bet you couldn't train her to paint." And I said, "Sure, I could." So when the guy showed up again, I said, "Hey, check this out." And I'd got a four-inch household paintbrush. Mm -hmm. Taught her to pick it up in her trunk, swing it, put it in a bucket, swing it, you know, on a board. He thought it was hilarious, and he was actually the zoo's media consultant so he called somehow he let the word out to local news they did a story it went national and then the infamous Shirley Wood talent coordinator yes. Johnny Carson yes called from New York and said could you bring your elephant up to the studio <laughs> and you had to truck the elephant up and, and we and we hauled it up and the funny thing was she had you know we'd been in the fourth of July parade in the charger games and done all kinds of things so I felt pretty good <laughs> except we got on the freeway and it was heavy heavy traffic and so one of the keepers was driving and we were in the right-hand trucking lane, and we weren't moving because all the cars were moving, you know, merging on and off the freeway. So uh -huh. he moved into left-hand lane. We actually got stopped by the highway oh patrol my God. for being in the left-hand lane. And we said, but we're, we're going to a live show at NBC Burbank, and the right lane is not moving at all. Did he give you a police escort? I think he let us off. And we got there. We were late. And so I, all, all I remember, I was like a deer in the headlights for sure. I mean, it was a bit all overwhelming. But... They, you know, escorted me off to make up and to sign contracts and mm -hmm. releases. The keepers had the elephant backstage. So, mm -hmm. you know, Johnny introduced me. They wanted me to come out to the dusk and then they were going to reveal the elephant. They mm -hmm. opened the curtains and the keepers <laughs> pushed the elephant out. And I, all I remember thinking is, oh, my God, this is like could be the end of my career right here <laughs> on live television. Her eyes were as big as saucers. I mean. What had happened was they brought her in backstage, and they always did these sets for, for singers and uh -huh. performers. And I can't remember who was on that night, but a big star. And so they had all these mirrors. And so when they brought the elephant oh, in, every time she moved, she saw all these elephants moving around out. her. So they, and then they open the curtains, and there's a band, and there's an audience, and just her eyes are... And the lights, Just yeah. like, and her yeah. tail's up, and I'm going, oh, my God, they're all watching me. <laughs> well, she doesn't me. go if to the bathroom, takes, really. No, herself. if she takes off, this is, oh. it's over. You oh, know? my right, God. Right through yeah, the, yeah. Stampede, the, yeah. <laughs> stampede the audience. Well, yeah, they got some ratings. <laughs>
Actually, it was a, it was so popular, both with the audience. That was your very first appearance with Johnny? It was my first appearance with Johnny. God, I remember that. I had actually done, I think, Art Linkletter, uh-huh. What's Your Line. I'd done, I think, Steve Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, this was it. Johnny yeah. Carson was, you know, the, the, bomb. the key to the American viewing public. Right. So he was quite amused by it all, and so he wanted us back when he came back out Uh-oh. to the West. And when they moved, we became... Their go-to regular. regular you know? Well, God, the Marmoset story and everything else. I mean, it was unbelievable. How many appearances have you made on The Tonight Show alone, in addition to all the thousands? Over 100. Really? But that includes Jay. We yeah. did quite a few with Jay, who's a great guy. But Johnny started, I mean, uh, you well, know. Well, there's only oh, one obvious, Johnny Carson. Obviously, the bobcat, or wh- what kind of cat was it that took a swipe at him and he ran and jumped cheetah. in? A, a, a cheetah. <laughs> I remember that. You know, but then that's why everybody loved Johnny because he was so spontaneous. Yeah. He was so quick witted. He yeah. I remember once I took an aardvark. I said, Johnny, <laughs> it's an African earth pig and it's nocturnal and lives underground. And he looked right at me. I mean, I didn't even get the last word out of my mouth. And he mm. says, If I look like that, I'd be nocturnal and live underground too. <laughs> and it was so fast. I mean, he was actually extremely well read up oh, on yeah. current events. Oh, I mean, yeah. he was at the top of his game and once you sat next to Johnny Carson then you could begin to see how other people in the same position struggled I think I worked with every host on the air over uh-huh. the years you know but and if he liked you and liked your your content material I mean there's nothing better and, and he always liked to make his guest the star of the show, right and he would just oh, yeah. jump in when he well, got and a you chance. know this is what's interesting about Johnny Carson is most stand-up comedians you know really have to fight their way through everything from cocktail lounges and bars and mm-hmm. and i think they really work hard to get you know the audience so they're not necessarily the best uh talk show host for guests mm-hmm. but he just had such a nice balance you know he yeah. was very good at, he could get in his humor and then he could sit back and let you right you know participate Yes, we try to use that model on this show, Joan. So, <laughs> anyway, we'll be back with the famous Joan Embry on the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life right after this. Hang on. Someone told me it's all happening at the zoo. Oh, that is great music. Simon and Garfunkel in honor of Joan Embry and our San Diego Zoo and all the zoos and animal keepers around the world. So we're back with Joan Embry. So great to have you here. Um, so, you guys, I, I got to make a story in the spirit of full disclosure about my relationship with the zoo. Okay. In 1970, when I was 12 years old, in eighth grade, of course, my father was superintendent of schools of the entire district that this applies to. Mm-hmm. I was actually arrested at the zoo. And really? here's what happened. I was, in, I was on a school field trip, um, Lakeside Junior High School, standing in front of the gorilla cage when one of the gorillas picked up his excrement and threw it at me, hitting me in the shoulder. Really? You should be I, honored. being a baseball player, picked it right back up and hit him in the chest. <laughs> oh Unfortunately, God. there was a security guard standing right there. Tried to explain I was merely returning his the um, the gorilla's personal property, but was unable to talk my way out of it. And away I went. So, in the spirit really? of full disclosure, you know oh, what right. that was all about. I knew you were full of it. I know. Yeah. I mean, was, no, think about it. You know, yeah. the apes are there, and watching the the public was yeah. like you watching mm-hmm. TV, right. you know, or watching a soap opera. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, what fun to get a such a rise out of the public mm-hmm. standing before you. I exactly. Mean, <laughs> Maybe you should throw it at your TV it some throw it at your TV some night, Richard. Anyway. Something you don't like. <laughs> I was twelve years old and I got hauled off. Well, when I was five I fell in the duck pond in the children's zoo because I was so entranced <laughs> with the ducks. And my parents had walked off and didn't realize it and they took me to the security office and made an announcement, Will somebody come pick up a little blonde girl? <laughs> you fell into the duck pond. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How funny. Well, we were talking about Johnny Carson and 
and you had the uh, the uh, privilege of, I guess, giving him a tour through Wild Animal Park. Now it's called, I think, Wild Safari Park. Um, and tell us about that experience, I mean, getting to t- talk to him off stage and and uh, in a nice environment like that. You know, well, you know, it really gave me an appreciation for. There's more to Johnny Carson that I think you know people realize. More depth there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's extremely well read uh, and very interested in all subjects. But we were looking at the condors at the time because we were trying to bring back the California condor. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of technical science involved in that process of data management and um and we've done a good job at that right right we we have Mm -hmm. we have over 400 condors from a low of 2023 when they were all removed from uh the wild but the questions that he asked and how involved he became and his interest in the field um really impressed me uh i've given many 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 tours and some people you know, are, are looking for more detail than others, more, mm-hmm. you know, have some a going, real Some interest. going through the motions, but Johnny was uh, asking penetrating right. questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, I think he really enjoyed his day. It was actually, I think the only reason he was here, because he was a bit of a workaholic, was it was during the writer's strike. Huh. You know? Mm-hmm. So, so getting material. Shows, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard you give wonderful talks on more than one occasion, and your focus could be either on the species itself or conservation in general or preservation. And I know you have a 50-acre facility out in Lakeside. Yes. And um, are there tours of that? Can the public come uh, see that? Or is it more of a private thing? Or how well, it's can, actually, can, can it is a help? private ranch, but do you yes, need volunteers? We, do, we do have volunteers from the local high schools and colleges. We've yes. had quite a few, and they come through, and they really learn hands-on everything involved with maintaining wildlife we have a wildlife collection Mm -hmm. it requires permits both state and federal permits Mm -hmm. inspections record keeping so pretty soon they find out if you like animals that's one thing but if you're actually working with them you know you really have to be dedicated there's a lot of detail we have detailed animal records and health records on every single animal Mm -hmm. the uh, inspections and the requirements for maintaining animals are uh quite demanding rigorous, huh? and rigorous mm-hmm. and um you know you're accountable for all of the all of it so uh you know the kids quickly learn is this a field that i'm interested in pursuing mm-hmm. and it includes everything i mean you know uh some Clean. animals live three years some live 60 so you know if you work with animals there will be losses there will be traumatic yeah. times there will be joyous times mm-hmm. there will be oh my gosh i didn't know that you know or isn't that interesting but um, pretty quickly, you know, we find out those that are, are really, you know, want to move in that direction. And, you know, they really take root. And it's amazing to watch them. I, I actually make them mini Jones. They're, you know, they're up on stage presenting animals. They're mm. loading animals. They're hauling animals. They're responsible. If they're good volunteers, they become employees. Mm. So how, many, how many species do you have at, at your facility? We have about 30 wild animals. Huh. I have about 60 horses on the ranch. We have livestock. So we probably have close to a hundred animals and it's a full-time job which is why i'm not open to the public every day Mm. but i do a lot of public programs i mean Mm -hmm. we've had the ymca the boys and girls club the girl scouts the san diego river park lakeside river park you know you name it every environmental our our non-profit group in san diego i think has has come and been involved in some way or done programs at the ranch and we do our own programs too Mm -hmm. so I have a website. People email me, and they're interested. We can let them know when we have activities. JoanEmbry.com, right? Yes, okay. Joan at JoanEmbry.com. Yeah. Um, I think Erwin Jacobs' granddaughter might have worked with you. Yes, she did. Beth yeah. worked with us, and then she went on to UC Davis. 
And she's so in the it's vet, really she, rewarding. Is she in the, vet, in the vet program there? No, oh, she's okay. not in the vet. Oh. She's in you know uh, environmental sciences. But how great! I think mm-hmm. it's really you know rewarding to see them. It, it's tough loss because we just get them really up to speed where they become invaluable to us, and then they're off to college. But it's rewarding to see them, you know, go on and, and pursue these. It's good careers. therapy. I mean, look, at we're all animals. We don't think of us ourselves as animals, but we are, right? Yeah, and, and uh, we do have volunteers. And, you know, that includes <laughs> everything from, you know, gardening to helping with the animals to, you know. Well, there's even, I think, vets with PTSD can get some benefit <laughs> from working with horses and oh, things, right? Of course. Right? Yeah. I mean, animals are fabulous. We Like, I have autistic and... Special needs kids uh, three days a week from El Cap, which is just across the river from us. And they were there when I left today. And, you know, it's amazing to watch them. They come in and, you know, they're they're so into themselves and, Uh you know, maybe a little insecure. And over a period of time, they just blossom. You know, we give them tasks and they have real jobs and responsibilities. And, you know, I think they really take pleasure in that. Do, Do any of the kids gravitate to any particular species as a favorite? Well, yes, of course. Um, they do have their favorite. We have an autistic young man who I've now hired who came in through the special needs program, and he knows the scientific names of all the local animals, and he really likes the birds. So he flies the owls and, you know, handles huh. the, the, the raptors, and, and he's very, very good at it. And of course, you've had a a, a history in um, with with uh, in the equestrian field, showing, jumping, riding. Every kind of. I mean, I am a horse person. I still ride as often as I can. Um, Isn't there a saddle club out there? Do you get groups together? I have a I have a community riding club, huh. uh, which I manage right across the street from the ranch, which is open to you know anybody that has a horse with lots of facilities. But I've shown everything from jumpers to gated horses, saddlebreds. Um, Dressage horses, cutting horses, driving horses. I had a Percheron hitch with six 2,200-pound Percherons. That's the biggest horse there is, right? Yes, much. it is. Uh, right up <laughs> there. A big we horse, st- Joe. <laughs> <laughs> we started with Clydesdales and then moved into the uh, black Percherons because they were easier to match when you go into a larger hitch. But we had a hitch just like Budweiser. <laughs> that was oh a lot God. of work. Yes, a ton, a ton of horse. A ton wow. of horse. And we've bred everything from miniature horses to Lipizzans. Are those Clyde pretty Stills. popular miniature? That seems like it'd be like a cool pet for people. They uh, are cool. You I mean you have to be in a, a zoned for horses? That's mm-hmm. the despite the diminutive size, but they're great. They're a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to talk to Michelle and Bill about this because they've got goats and uh, they've got some properties. So. so a foal, a miniature mm-hmm. foal, might only weigh 20 pounds, whereas a Clydesdale foal would weigh <laughs> 120 <laughs> pounds, 130. Pounds. And how heavy do the, does a full-grown miniature horse get? Oh, probably 300 pounds. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's <laughs> Joe, I mean, you you're know not you picking can, them up anymore. You, you can now use miniature horses as service animals. Is that right? In California. People have. Yeah, they have. Really? Yeah. You mm-hmm. can take them into a restaurant? Take them into a restaurant. Wow. Well, you better yeah. bring by the way, Joe, just for Lakeside Trivia, there is still a hitching post in Lakeside in front of Leo's Lakeside Pharmacy. Is How that? about that? It's and still there, there. There was one in front of the coffee shop. That's right. People still ride That's through true. town. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? Absolutely. Oh, it, it, we're cowboy town. You know, we have the annual rodeo out there, and uh-huh. we have a lot of horses. And people don't realize in San Diego we have the highest per capita horse population. I mean, anywhere in com- anywhere in the U.S. Is that right? Yes, the density and numbers. And we have a lot of Olympic riders 
We have some of the top dressage riders in the world. And, uh, well, you Stefan know, Peters won the World Cup mm-hmm. right here in Del Mar. When I first moved out here, the equi- U.S. equestrian team was right across from UCSD there, right? So, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to ride out of here right now, though, John. We'll be back with Joan Emery right after New Sports and Weather, and we'll see you soon. back for the second half of It's Your Money and Your Life, the award-winning show. And this is a time where Richard thanks our sponsors. I'm just going to list the sponsors that are in our stable. Anyway, <laughs> that would be UBS. Couldn't do the show without UBS. Michael Carancha and Drew Freitas appreciate it very much. Our favorite CPAs on the planet, Jason Kruger, CPA with Signature Analytics, a great CFO service firm with offices in five cities across the West Coast. Also, Don Epic, CPA, and Paul Polito, CPA, up in San Marcos. Polito Epic, CPAs. Paul Polito, of course, a recent winner of the Advisor of the Year Award. Vacationing down in Costa Rica, Carl Sheeler with Berkeley Research Group. Berkeley Research Group is a business valuation firm that helps business owners understand the risks that drive the value of their businesses. Reduce those risks, increase the value of the business. Also, Joel Gruskin with Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Now, with all this money that Joel and Carl can make you, how about Geiger Law Offices? Brenda Geiger specializing in asset protection and estate planning. If you need a place to put that money, California Republic Bank out of Orange County, now with an office here in UTC. California Republic Bank with Sean Puckett and Lane Elliott is a very neat niche market bank serving wealthy families and family offices. Also, Hub International, also known as Mars Maddox Insurance. Recent guest was Neil Staley. Great employee benefits firm. The LG Experience and the Lombardi Group. Big event coming up in San Diego for CPAs in May of 2016. The LG Experience helps wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Paul Hines, CEO of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management. Paul also heads up. The SeniorSafeAndSound.org initiative here in San Diego, helping to prevent elder financial abuse. Also, a big thank you to Courtney Lover from PopEx Graphics, who maintains our award-winning website, where our listeners can find out lots of cool things. Right, Joe? Absolutely. Just get your cursor. Or we'll get on IYMoney.com on one of your browsers and get your cursor over to the Sponsor tab. There's a drop-down menu there. You can learn about any one or all of them. Their contact information is there. Their professional background information is there. They've all been working with Richard for many years with great success, right, Richard? In some cases, 30 years <laughs> of great success. And not only that, all the guests are on another tab. So if you want to hear Joan Embry's podcast at any time in the future, you just go to the E's and click on it. You'll find uh, all those guests there, Erwin Jacobs, Don Rickles, George Takei, Billie Jean King. The, the nephew of Johnny Carson. Yes, <laughs> Jeff Sotsing. Jeff Sotsing. And, of course, Joan Embry, who uh, we're going to talk with her again right now. So, Joan, welcome back. Thank you. Um, gosh, your uh, your website's so robust. Uh, people can have an event at your place if they'd like, right, if, uh, you know, for the right, in the right situation. We do special events. So. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> I'm just laughing but. because <laughs> I do special events. <laughs> now, look, we're having, we hear about the, the mass extinctions and species extinction and climate change. And, uh, is that something to be concerned about? Absolutely. I mean, well, I, well, I, I could see it years ago. And, you know, you feel like, okay, you love animals. You like working with animals if you really care about the environment, you really care about animals. You need to do what I do with my nonprofit, and that's education. Mm-hmm. I mean, people need to, you know, I, I, you know, I watched not only in traveling around the world to developing countries and seeing it, you know, mm-hmm. 
firsthand, but also at the zoo and seeing these populations declining. And you just feel like you've got your finger in the hole in the dike and you, you're yelling for help, help, hey, everybody, you know, pay attention to what's going on here because, you know, we're heading for serious problems. Do, do you have wells on your property out in Lakeside or do you have to? I do. Oh, good for you. Yeah. And of course, their wells are only as good as the aquifer. So, exactly. mm-hmm. and the aquifer is only as good as the watershed, and the watershed is impacted by all the people who who live there. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know impact our our aquifers. So, yes, I have a well, and it's a precious entity when you have animals and livestock and in a in a ranch. But they're having to drill deeper and deeper for water back in East County. I remember there are an article uh, in, a, in a local publication when we had, I think, the first wildfire, I believe in 03, wasn't that when we had the first? And mm-hmm. um, uh, he, he talked to some people out in Boulevard and some people in the fire departments back there, and the guy said, it's a good tinderbox out here. And we used to drill 400 feet for water, now it's 800, now it's 1,200 feet. So You know, it's variable, uh, but it's dropping nationwide. Mm-hmm. I mean... And, and it is it is alarming. I mean, when you look at what's happening in our our very productive farmlands in mm-hmm. California, and they're starting to monitor and regulate well use, which mm-hmm. affects the economy mm-hmm. and the agricultural industry, it's um it's it's scary. And uh, it, it, you know, I live in a valley that's surrounded by reservoirs, mm-hmm. and for years I've I've been involved with the San Diego River Park foundation and mm-hmm. lakeside river park foundation and for so many years people didn't know what you were talking about when you talked about the san diego river because the river doesn't flow the water's held in our reservoirs mm-hmm. it's extremely valuable and the only time you see the water flowing is in extreme rain events mm-hmm. or when they open the reservoirs which they never do mm-hmm. to let water out mm-hmm. so um these have become very important corridors that we're paying particular attention to in recent years that had been overlooked for so many years but when you think that, you know, ninety percent of our water is imported, and if anything should cut that water supply, I mean, we have overbuilt our capacity to support ourselves in San Diego, yeah. and that impacts wildlife as well, who also require water resources yeah. and plant life. Yeah. Now we re- we recently lost uh, one of the rhinos at uh, well, Nola. Uh, Nola. So we're down to how many now of those? I think that there's species four in the world. In the world. Now, Rolf Banerska, I heard him speak. His dad was, did you know his dad? He was a Very Zola. well. Isn't and that, he was also on the River Park Foundation. Isn't that cool? Dr. Kirk Banerska yeah. uh, started the what was at the time called the Center for Reproduction of Endangered Species. So he was collecting DNA from endangered species back in the, when no one else was doing he it. He was very interested in applying what we know in human medicine mm-hmm. to managing wildlife. And... Um, where we were at and i I don't think back and at that point in time we'd ever know in our lifetime that we would have all these genome sequences Mm -hmm. and that you know the biotech industry would be what it is you know today i think technologically we've probably come a lot further than we imagined we would Mm -hmm. but at the same time despite our capacity um it isn't playing out in terms of on the boots on the ground getting the job done in the environment mm-hmm. so we have we we have the knowledge but transferring that knowledge into so, you know, action so, so is it possible to create another rhino fetus from with you have to ask dr Benerska <laughs> that question well i mean we have for years he started the tissue bank where we store sperm eggs tissue and um you know Yes, I think it is feasible. A test tube rhino. I remember the first time that 
when semen was collected, and it was a big, big deal. Like, how do you store it? At what temperature? What kind of extender do you use? Um, and different protocols for different species. And, and it, it is so commonplace in the livestock industry now mm-hmm. where, I mean, you, you can pull embryos from a horse mare, a valuable horse mare, and implant them in a surrogate, and fertilize those eggs and implant them in a surrogate mare and produce foals, multiple foals from the same mare. Now, there's a cost involved, so that means that the, the animal has to be of that value, but they're doing it in cattle. So when you think in terms of wildlife, it's not that far out, mm-hmm. but when you think of extremely endangered species, mm-hmm. and there are only a few left, you're almost afraid to touch them. Or beyond repro- you have to you have to manipulate that animal to a certain degree to 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 work through the protocols yeah. to to do successful procedures. And if you have an animal that, I mean, you're almost afraid to touch it. And Nola was very old, so um, you know the, where do you draw those lines as far as we're we're gonna tranquilize her and we're going to try to extract eggs and or how about artificially impregnating um you know one of the rhinos and, and is she well they're look, uh, looking at possibly yeah. you know and i don't know everything that they're they're doing right now but a cl- the closest species so we have a southern white rhino mm-hmm. for instance gotcha could you possibly clone something and utilize the southern white rhino um, mm. as your model but um, that all I know that they're looking at every well, every do, possibility. Well, they're doing with plant life. They're collecting because you know, there's there's a problem with plant life um, becoming pollination. Extinct. Yeah, so they're collecting. I think it's in Norway or Iceland, but they have a huge uh, um, facility where they're collecting all the seeds from. We do uh, too. You do too. At the Wild Animal Park, they have a seed bank. Huh. Yeah, so it, they're, they're, you know, we're a botanical collection as well as a wildlife collection. That's true. There's a lot of species of plants there. I think 10,000 or some uh, astronomical. Very, very important. Yeah. And all of the foods, you know, the kind of plants that we eat, you know, yeah. are originate from the wild. Anyway, we're going to take our little break right now. What do we got coming up here, Justin? Oh, we love that Mr. Ed. So we'll be back with Joan Ambry right after this. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to the animals. Wow, Just isn't that great? Dr. Doolittle and Joan Embry. What a great team. <laughs> Joan, why, why didn't you bring any animals in to run around the studio? Because <laughs> well, we're on radio. Chimpanzees to swing from the... You didn't the, invite the did animals. You, did you like that movie, by the way, Joan? You remember that Dr. Doolittle? Or, uh, it was a lot of fun. It cute. really is. You know, we talk about talking to the animals, and animals can't talk, so but they, they do communicate. Yeah. And they, they communicate through scent. They communicate through body language. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's, you know, expression. There's so many ways. And when you work with animals all the time, you kind of learn to read the animal in a different sense. You're used with people, and we're always using vocal communication. But with animals, it's much more subtle. And they can tell when the weather's changing. Do you get uh, the birds make noise, like when it's going to rain? Or? They're, they're, animals are very in- intuitive. Mm-hmm. Joe, the most amazing thing I ever saw in the wildfires in Lakeside in 1970 we were on a property that had avocado trees and oranges and lemons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And because the fire was so close, um, the animals had to move. And so we just had a parade of animals that you typically wouldn't see walking through your backyard in an orderly <laughs> fashion. You know, the skunks came uh-huh. and the coyotes came and, you know, the, a cougar came. And none head. of the animals were going after each other. They were all just getting, out, know, of dodge. Head, head, getting <laughs> out of Dodge, but just parading <laughs> through the backyard. It was the most amazing thing to see. It was amazing. I remember running out my back door for something and this huge buck came bounding 
right by me and you know i'd never seen one before mm -hmm. i mean maybe up on the hill but not you know on the on the lower uh, part of the ranch and it was like whoa yeah. and i remember going up to cleomaca after the fires and there were whole herds of deer that had deceased and they mm. the i was with some biologists and they said we don't really think that initially they were even burned it was just the Oxygen was sucked yeah, the out oxygen of the air. was non-existent. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh! Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Now you had a bull named Bruiser, a Brahmin bull. Uh, Loved him. Now this was a prize-winning bull. What can you tell us about uh, raising? And he must have weighed quite well, a bit. I was, I was at a horse show showing my cattle, actually at Pomona at the LA County Fair, and the cattle barn was, you know, in close proximity. So I love cattle. So I was down, you know, communing with the cattle and fell in love with this little bull calf. Brahma, and I'd always wanted a Brahma. There's something that always attracted me. I think they're such beautiful cattle. They're the most crossbreed of cattle in the world. Hmm. They're very valuable animals um, to the you know industry. Why? Because of rodeo. They or? give hybrid vigor. Oh. That is that strong calves. They're uh, disease resistant. They have very loose skin, so mm -hmm. they're pest resistant. Well, I got um, that in common. <laughs> they have longer. They have longer legs, so they can cover ground. You don't have that in common, mm -hmm. Joe. But anyway, you know your English cattle are subject to pink eye. They overheat. They don't cover ground well because they, they have really have bad short accents. legs. Oh, sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> so what bad you do teeth. is you you cross that beefy English, you know, mm -hmm. cow with with a Brahma bull, and your F1 generation have stronger, more vigorous calves. They're more disease resistant. They're more it's a more productive herd. Hmm. But this guy weighed about 2,400 pounds. <laughs> and I would literally sit with him when he was laying down and lean up against him like a sofa. And I would ride on, <laughs> I would ride on his back. And he really? was a fully intact bull. So people could not believe it. And uh, he became, you know, the, the major greeter at the ranch. And everybody wanted their picture taken with him. And he lived a long time, and he was one of my all-time, you know, favorite. You would saddle features. him up, or just get on. No, I would just sit on him, and you know, when they, you know, if if a fly or something gets on him, they kind of twitch, and uh -huh. the skin just rolls over their body. I actually, uh -huh. rode him through the zoo's black tie gala oh my in front gosh. of like six hundred people, <laughs> and and the funniest thing happened when we got to the other end. When we practiced him, he went over and butted one of the palm trees, and uh -huh. <laughs> I thought. Well, it was pretty close quarters with everybody, and I was hoping we would get, you know, through all the tables without incident. And I got to the end, and I had a friend of mine. I said, could you help me off the bull? Because I have to go up to the stage. I'm, I'm just and thinking. as I swung my leg over the bull, I could, couldn't get my leg down, and I was wrapped around this guy, and I couldn't figure out what had happened. My, I had a high heel on, and oh. it had slipped in his coat pocket. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> We were standing there in a very awkward position, laughing so hysterically. <laughs> All I could think of is Alex Karras and Blazing Saddles. But we but. got, and we got the, and my husband's trying to hold the bull so he wouldn't, you know, start bucking. But anyway, they got him out of there. It was oh <laughs> hilarious. Gosh. Now, you do work uh, in Africa. You've got, uh, uh, I guess, sister projects in uh, uh, Tanzania. In Kenya. And, I'm in interested Kenya. in, I'm still interested in veterinary medicine and veterinary applications of wildlife management and wildlife health, uh, which now we're really looking at is what they call one world health, and that is they're commuting more veterinary and, and human medical expertise together to look, when, when we look at, for instance, something like 75% or more of emerging diseases are zoonotic-based, wildlife-based. Mm -hmm. So if you're monitoring wildlife, that should give you, you know, a little bit of a feel for what's happening in the environment that also impacts humans and likewise humans bring in domestic stock 
dogs, and then pretty soon you've got rabies and distemper mm-hmm. infecting and wiping out populations of wildlife. So the health, monitoring of health is really important. And mm-hmm. I've worked with the Kenya Wildlife Service and Tanzania National Parks and supported their veterinary teams to do the work that they do. And people don't realize, even in Kenya, uh, when I was over there, the Kenya Wildlife Service was translocating giraffes. They're moving animals. I mean, putting them in trailers and moving them where they have areas where they're overpopulated because corridors are cut off, and then to areas that have been depopulated either from poaching or, um, you know, environmental degradation. So trying to kind of bolster those areas and control. So we're stepping as humans into a management role in the, in the wild. Mm. And I, I don't think this is something we always assumed that the wild was untamed, wild, self-sustaining. No. Now, I mean, every country is actively involved in managing resources. Mm -hmm. So the days of the wild just existing, you know, are over and we're having to really become managers. To manage something, you have to understand it. Mm -hmm. And there's where I think all the years of maintaining animals in zoos have been helpful in developing that database that helps us when we go out into the field to at least have some basic knowledge of what we're what we're dealing and of course with. humans are encroaching on a lot of uh, animal um, areas and of course and you, here you, too you know. i mean not just in africa we actually see the same thing here in san diego county and that's one of the river park's greatest assets um, the san diego river park and the san diego river park with the development in san diego and at three million people and growing you know exponentially quickly so much land being developed we've actually you know, cut off corridors. Mm -hmm. And the old system was you destroy an acre of important ground and you buy an acre somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But what does that do for corridors? What does that do for wildlife? So we now have what we call the multiple species conservation plan, which is looking at the whole community. What areas do we want to protect? What areas can we try and keep intact? And the only corridors left in our community that go all the way from the mountains to the ocean because it's floodplain are our river corridors. They connect communities and provide for wildlife and recreation. Hmm. Do we have any danger? I mean, uh, I know we have some coyotes here. I saw a show the other night on lone wolf, a lone wolf, some some other state. Do we have any wolves here? We don't have wolves. We don't have wolves. We do have coyotes, mm-hmm. and, and they're very resilient mm-hmm. and very resourceful. But an animal that we do have that people don't really realize that is moving continually through our, our backcountry and sometimes into our urban areas is our mountain lion. Mm. And, and I think more people, people do more about African lions than they did about our own mountain lion. And they, you know, are so shocked to actually see one. Yes, they're very elusive. They're crepuscular. They're, they're active early and late in the day. And they tend to stay away from people. But they're here and they're moving through San Diego County all the time. <laughs> and their population has actually under protection increased. And if we're going to share our community with mountain lions, we have to learn how to live with mountain so lions. Well, growing up in Lakeside, I mean, you, you became familiar with them yeah. because... Um, yes. Now, your species, have to, you have to watch out for danger of your species from those, right? You're on your ranch, right? Of course. Okay. But, you know, in Africa, you don't just turn your hobby animals right. loose and not protect them. Yeah. If you're going to live with wildlife... You have to make some adjustments. Anyway, Joan Embry, thanks for being Joan, with really us. Joan, really appreciate it. JoanEmbry.com if you want to get out there and help her in any way. And Richard, great seeing you. Justin Hart on our soundboard. Thanks for making us sound great. Thanks to Craig Blanky, our account executive, and to Dave Sniff, our programming genius here at KFMB. All these shows are on iymoney.com. Happy holidays. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.